Have you heard of Ebels yet? Hey folks, Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and I'm here to tell you about a fantastic sponsor we have on The Brian Nichols Show, and that is Ebels, Ebels CBD. Now, this story begins with Addison and his wife searching for something natural to help his wife manage her chronic migraines. They tried it all, OTC meds, hydration, essential oils, and even other CBD brands, and with CBD, she finally had her pain managed and no longer lived a life dictated by migraines, and Addison knew he had to find a way to bring it to market. So, he brings us Ebels, which he is hoping it will do to you guys, what has done for his wife and many others, which is help us manage the, the life storm, whether it's clouds of pain and anxiety, inflammation, trouble sleeping, or even your unruly pets. This product, Ebels, is sure to help. And folks, if you are looking to experience the Ebels difference for yourself, well, head over to Ebels.com and use code TBNS at checkout for 15% off your order. That's right, 15% off your order. All you have to do, use code TBNS at checkout. It's as easy as that. And hey, the fact that Addison is a libertarian entrepreneur is also just another great reason to support a great organization like Ebels. So use code TBNS at checkout, save 15% off your entire order, and experience the Ebels difference today. And now, onto the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. How about that? Technology is back on our side. Brian Nichols here. Brian Nichols Show. Well, hello. We made it to Wednesday. Hopefully you enjoyed our conversation with Joe Solosky, gubernatorial candidate here in Pennsylvania for the Libertarian Party in 2022. What a great conversation. Part two of the conversation, because yes, we did have some technical issues the first time, but a fantastic conversation. And it looks like uh, the technology uh, good graces are on our sides going forward because uh, my conversation for today's episode is also fantastic and we didn't have any issues. So how about that? Today, we are joined once again by good friend of the show, Kim Ruff. Now, Kim is running for Arizona State Mine Inspector, and I'm sure you, like me, were saying, what is a state mine inspector? What does a state mine inspector do? And I asked Kim the same question, and I said, and also, why should we have a libertarian as a state mine inspector? So, Kim Ruff joins The Brian Nichols Show to answer all those questions and more. So, without further ado, on to the show. Kim Ruff, here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely, Kim. It has been far too long since you have been on The Brian Nichols Show. Back, you were exploring uh, the presidential uh, nod there back in 2020, and uh, you ended up dropping out, and that's that's A-OK. We did miss you. However, you are returning, and now you are running as the Arizona, Arizona State Mine Inspector as a libertarian. So a lot's happened since we last spoke to you, Kim. What's got you now looking to run for office in this very unique role at a state office? Well, a lot of this comes down to the fact that during the time that we were campaigning for the presidential nomination and vice presidential nomination for the Libertarian Party, a lot of what we talked about to people was about the importance of focusing local. Our emphasis has always been on and our success has always been concentrated in focusing on local or statewide races as opposed to doing a federal race. So the Spending, you know, a year and a half talking to people about the importance of focusing local, I felt the next critical pivot point 
to encourage others to do the same was for me to do to focus local. So I chose to run for this particular position because it is very unique to the state of Arizona. And having worked for 15 years in manufacturing and dealt with the copper mining industry here in Arizona, I am to my knowledge, the only person in the Libertarian Party who actually qualifies for this role. So hmm. it was a, a combination of I have the qualifications for this particular position and also a genuine interest based on my work experience to do this and to do it well. So when your average person is going to hear, so Kim Ruff for state mine inspector, the first thing I'm sure your average person is going to say is, what the heck <laughs> a mine inspector do uh because candidly it's not really a you know a role that we hear a lot of people actively and openly running for office for so kim if you had to give the i guess the elevator pitch in terms of well what's the state mine inspector do what's that pitch well, first of all, you are you are by no means the first person to be flummoxed by this we are arizona is the only state in the union that has this particular position. And even Arizona residents and voters are surprised every four years to see this come back up on the ballot, particularly as a partisan position. So we've had a lot of people historically do write-ins or run for this position just because they thought it was funny and so weird. But the truth is, is that the Arizona State Mine Inspector's Office is responsible for a couple of different major things. The first thing, the most core thing, is that they have to go and do inspections on surface mines twice a year to make sure that they are engaging in workplace safety habits and that they are not violating any state or federal laws governing mining. The second aspect of it is that they handle reclamation, and reclamation is the process of reintroducing a closed mine site back into the environment for continued use by another per, you know, individual or agency. Mm. The next part of it is what's called educational field training, and that's where we have a couple of different instructors who engage and teach miners and contractors on what sort of safety practices they have to adhere to whenever they're on a mine site. And then the fourth part of it is, is that we have an abandoned mines division, which is two folks who go out and track all the abandoned mines littered across our landscape because Arizona has a very long and rich history with mining. And then they initially will try to contract the property owner. And if there is no property owner and it turns out to be on state land, then they have to come up with a method of shoring it up or reinforcing it or covering it up to prevent individuals who are engaging in recreation from potentially getting hurt on site. So those are the four major aspects of what the state mine inspector's office does. And as the elected state mine inspector, not only am I responsible for overseeing that office, but I also am responsible for interfacing with legislators on the legislative floor about proposed legislation that pertains to mining, you know, basically being the subject matter expert on behalf of that department and the mining industry so that they don't create additional or redundant legislation, or they recognize that some of the legislation that they're proposing further hampers the industry creates a, that harm shouldn't be. So that's that's what the role is. It's actually very critical. And my big argument is that the state minor inspector's office was established in 1912 when our constitution was established and we were statehood. So we already had in place this particular department and agency that was responsible for making sure that we kept lost time incidences and fatalities down well before and in advance of the federal government passing legislation to 
create the Mining Safety and Hazard Association in 1977. There are other departments in federal government that had handled it. The Bureau of Mines predates it by about two years, but they never had the enforcement aspect until 1977. So my position on it is, is that we already were doing that. So by having the federal government claim oversight on a mining industry here in Arizona, they are essentially engaging in scope creep. The federal government should not be responsible for making dictates on how we handle industry in our state. So I think if you're a libertarian, you're hearing uh, the argument to start off, right? It is the local argument, the localist argument, which we definitely have been encouraging. And Kim, I'm so glad that you you are taking that stand too, because we do need the the, the libertarians out there who have who have run for office in in the past at a federal level, who you know can go ahead and start to to take the, the leading by example, right? And and starting to focus on those local offices, which to your point, right? We actually are going to be not only seeing more of a chance to have an impact in, but Candidly, a lot of these local offices will more directly impact our lives every single day versus, you know, looking at the federal government up until the federal government decides to, uh, you know, enact some large overarching policy, which, you know, impacts every single person instead of just, you know, in your example, you know, the one specific location in this case, Arizona. And and again, it's interesting, right? Because when you're looking at what you're going to be able to to do as state mine inspector, because we're going to assume you're going to win, right? Um, You actually are going to have much more impact in really impacting Arizonians lives more so than you would if let's say you would run for president because now these these you know hyper specific um you know I guess policies in, in such a you're gonna be focusing on are actually impacting those people who directly voted for you so obviously they're gonna have more of a vested interest and you're gonna have more of a vested interest because now you're actually having to reflect back these policies that your constituents want uh and, and I'm interested uh, Kim because you know you're Mentioning right now that you know, there's a lot of things that we can do and that you can do in terms of you know taking over this role, and I guess it's interesting because a lot of libertarians out there you, you're mentioning they they look at the role and they're like you know tongue in cheek like haha it's it's a fun title to, to run for but you're to your point right there's a lot we can actually accomplish from a libertarian position so let's start here because I think hearing a libertarian as as the state my inspector would be interesting what would be some of your your top priorities in office if you were to in fact win as the Arizona state my inspector I think probably the biggest one would be to until we are able to basically sue the federal government to get out of our business I would be functionally a bulwark between the federal government and the mining industry here in Arizona. And the way that we can do that, of course, is by kind of continuing what the state mine inspector's office has historically done, which is to build collaborative counseling and coaching type relationships with mine owners and operators and the individuals that work therein, as opposed to using citation as a means of enforcing and ensuring compliance. It is in the best interest of mine owners and operators to keep lost time incidences and fatalities down because when those things occur, not only do they have just the horror and tragedy of losing somebody on site, but there's also damage to equipment. There's lost time in terms of production. And then it also affects their EMR rating and their workers comp. So they end up paying if they manage to continue to be insured, their insurance rates go up, their workers' comp rates go up, and then it negatively impacts their market share. So there's already a vested interest just in the marketplace for them to engage in workplace safety habits. So why do we need a federal agency to come on site 
and create these exponentially increasing citations to hold them accountable when they already are doing these things anyway. Most mind sites have a person that's educated and trained on safety and workplace habits who institutes policy and then make sure everyone's trained. And even those who go through the education in the office, the state mine inspector's office itself, they still have to do site-specific safety training before they can ever set foot on any site. So there's a lot of push just in the industry itself to make it a safer practice. And, and we've seen how that bore out because mining used to be one of the deadliest uh, careers that anyone could go into. And now it is not even in the top five. It's actually dropped down. And some of that came from the increase in improvements in technology. We have a lot of things that are going more toward ed automation. And automation helps preclude people from being directly in a position where they can be harmed. So by building out the collaborative relationship and then basically serving as a watchdog without the citation component layered on, I can prevent them from being victims of MSHA who comes in and then will find them into oblivion. So that's a that's hugely important right there. But the second aspect of it is, is that there is a pre-existing court case, a Supreme Court decision. It's 1936. It was Carter versus Carter Coal Company, where they looked at the constitutional argument for federal oversight into the mining industry, specifically with the coal mining industry. And at the time, the Supreme Court decided in a five to four decision that the argument that's typically used to justify federal oversight into any industry, which is that interstate commerce clause, that that didn't apply. Because it was something that was very specific to the region and each region or each state would be responsible for handling it. So there's already a court case, a Supreme Court decision on the books that says the federal government has no business having oversight in the mining industry. And yet, obviously, since 1936, all they've done has increased it. And they continue to do this policy of enforcement without coaching or counseling because it's the federal government. They're so far removed physically from the industry here and the individuals involved here that they create this boilerplate legislation and then mm. they will cite, they will enforce it rather than build collaborative relationships, which is, isn't that really kind of the problem we're facing across the country writ large is that <laughs> rather than having a direct relationship with individuals, we are trying to create this one size fits all and then holding people accountable to that without understanding the nuances and dynamism inherent in any sort of human relationship. Wow. They're right there, right? The the human connection. I think that's exactly something that we are missing. And because you look at the government and it really becomes this big, faceless, bureaucratic, you know, entity, and your average person has no emotional tie to that bureaucratic entity and vice versa. Bureaucratic entity has no emotional tie towards the, the, the random person, the random you know constituent 17246. But they look at you, Kim Ruff, if they're in Arizona, and they would see you as, you know, Kim Ruff, who they probably voted for because they know you or they know of you because you're local to the area. And you probably know more about the local issues and, uh, well, probably because you live there, right? And because you have a vested interest in your community. So it's interesting. Not only do the ideas of us focusing more on these local elections speak more to, you know, the, the approach libertarians should be taking, but actually in terms of actually making things better, right? Um, it, it is across the board, I think, a localist approach that will answer um, a lot of the problems we're seeing out there. And, and no, I'm, gonna, I'm curious, Kim, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, mining in general. And in Arizona, what are you guys specifically mining uh, in, in your state? 
Well, a lot of, okay, so we have 540 surface mines, which are the open pit mines, and then we have about 14 underground mines. The lion's share of what falls under that cap of mining are actually what's called aggregates, so things like concrete, um, and then sand and gravel, so things like decorative rock. Those are the the lion's share of it. Um, I know a lot of people don't typically think of sand and gravel outfits or aggregates as being part of mining, but it absolutely is. Gotcha. And then the next major thing, and this is the one that actually is part of our five C's of our, the Arizona economy, is copper mining. Copper mining is huge here in Arizona. And then one of the byproducts of copper mining is molybdenum. And molybdenum is used in the manufacturing of steel. So we've got a lot of that going on. And then a little interesting historical side note, during uh, World War II, we did uranium mining out of the Grand Canyon area. And that actually is what went into the manufacture of the bombs. Huh. So we don't do uranium mining anymore, but that was something that was part of our history. We also have had to a much lesser extent gold. And then more so than that, we've had silver as well. So we've got a lot of mining just because the we have such a wide and varied landscape and mm you know, like so much sedimentary and igneous and metamorphic rock that have all sorts of different awesome minerals in it. And so mining has been just a really big part of the shaping of Arizona's history. Prehistoric people would do mining here for turquoise and quartz and other things. And then, you know, interest when we were a territory before we earned statehood, people would come from back east or California and they would do mining here as well. So we exist because of mining. And Hmm. I think a lot of people sometimes are from the supply chain. They don't realize where their stuff comes from. So one of the big things that we say in the mining industry is if it can't be grown, it is mined. And that is something that people need to really recognize is how much of what they get comes out of mining and how critical it is in that supply chain. Well, how about that history, right, of Arizona mining? People thought they were coming here for the Brian Nichols show. They got an episode of Hardcore History with Dan Carlin and Kim <laughs> Ruff today. I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. But, you know, Kim, it's interesting, right? We're going into an era of of 2021 with a new president joe biden and one of the things you were, were speaking to about the the value of this this position is that really you could be a stopgap between the state of arizona and the you know various um rules and regulations that the state of arizona wants to implement versus what would be a federal overreach or federal oversight <laughs> from the the Biden administration. So I'm curious, you know, I haven't done any research into what the Biden administration is, is going to be doing in terms of their approach to regulatory influence on mining or, or so forth. So I'm sure you've done some research yourself being, uh, you know, in, invested into this it, itself. So, uh, Kim, kind of what's the prospects from a Joe Biden administration in terms of uh, mining specifically as it pertains to Arizona? Well, historically, Democrats have aligned with organized labor. Um, and in fact, that's a that's a huge shape on how our constitution here in Arizona was created, considering that we came into existence in 1912. And at that time, there was a major push. You know, you had Theodore Roosevelt, followed by William Howard Taft, who was his handpicked successor until he ended up you know, basically breaking from him and then founded the Bull, Mo- Bull Moose Party. Um, progressivism was huge at the turn of the 20th century, and that was in direct response to the Industrial Revolution. So there was a major push by organized labor in tandem with the Democrats who got set on the Constitutional Convention here in Arizona. And they codified a lot of those desires, workplace safety 
habits and employee safeguards into our constitution. So we have actually two articles that govern that. One is article, um, I believe it is 17 or 18 that governs that's more like the worker issues that pertains to the worker issues and labor issues. And then we have article 19, which pertains specifically to mines. So a lot of that was already built into, and a lot of historians kind of view that as being one of the most progressive or labor friendly constitutions that was ever crafted here in Arizona. So Democrats will typically look at more about labor issues or creating regulations and safeguards in order to protect workers, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, whereas Republicans will look more in terms of how do we safe, you know, how do we protect business interests? So it has to be this kind of careful balance as a libertarian. Of course, my thing is, why do we need to create legislation about any of it? A good idea is a good idea regardless. And we can institute these policies and ideas into our private business practices without necessarily needing some sort of governmental organization to breathe down our necks and cite us. You know, So we came into already of this mindset. And then we've had such an evolution of thought in the past 100 years about how we treat workplaces and how we take care of our employees. We, you know, we're not talking about that late 1900s, you know, or excuse me, late 1800s mentality, you know, Victorian era mentality about like get kids in there and work on a loom. We don't do that. And that a lot of our thought has already evolved. We are we, our interest is in protecting and caring for our workers, because if we don't have happy and healthy workers, then we have a less productive environment. So I think that mm. dealing with the federal government and their kind of desire to do top-down legislation and concerning these things, I think that we can basically say, hey, we're already doing this. I can show you all right. these companies that have already instituted these policies and are doing these things. We don't need you to come crawling all over our stuff and going through our books looking for, you know, frayed cords because we take care of that ourselves. And that's really the attitude of libertarian general is a good idea doesn't require force and self-ownership, which absolutely applies to safety, means that we as individuals engage in personal responsibility. You don't have to force me to do anything. I already acknowledge and I'm doing it. So that's that's kind of what we're going to have to deal with. So, Kim, uh, the last time you were on the show, we were obviously focused on having conversations uh, with people about the issues people care about. Right. And one of the things we've been doing uh, since the last time you were on the show has been really focusing on how we can take these ideas that all these amazing guests and such bring to the Brian Nichols show and then actually sell the ideas to people to help create long-lasting value. So when people are looking for the problem solvers out there, the first people they think of are huh, those silly little libertarians. So I ask you, uh, Kim, right, you know, with my sales hat right on, I'm looking at a Kim Ruff uh, administration in the uh, the role of uh, being the uh, the Arizona State Mine Inspector. So to those constituents in the uh, state of Arizona, paint the picture for them. What would that future look like um, for Arizonians if, uh, if we're in fact seeing a Kim Ruff as the mine inspector going forward? Okay. Well, I guess with respect to how I would actually work with the department itself, I think one of the biggest things that I would do, and to be clear, this is absolutely no knock on my predecessor or any of the individuals contained therein, because I I know them, I work with them, and I very much like those individuals, um, is to standardize 
and their educational processes and focus more on the first aid component. We do, in order to do training, in order to become a new miner uh, for surface mining, the part you have to do 24 hours of training. So three eight-hour days is the kind of training that you do in order to get certification. And typically what they cover are, you know, the regulatory agencies and how they came into existence, what the state mine inspector does versus what MSHA does, what sort of issues or, or dangers are inherent in mining. And then the first aid is usually the last day. The first aid, CPR, blood pathogens, all that stuff is incredibly important in my opinion. I think that every single person who goes through training there should be able to have some modicum of skills and abilities so that if, God forbid, an accident occurred, they would be in the right mindset to address it as somebody who's right there. So that would be something that I would really want to emphasize more so. But I also want to partner with non-governmental organizations, including you know, 501c3 nonprofits, as well as other community-based organizations to maybe take some of that and offset it rather than that department using taxpayer dollars to do it themselves. So that's one aspect, like looking at how can we partner with the community, what sort of private organizations are already doing this, and then how can we work that into our training plan without necessarily creating a burden on taxpayers. So that's that deals with that. <clears throat> With the abandoned mine sites, that's another thing that's a huge, you know, we have a lot of what happens is that, you know, people will finish up with their mine claim. And this is historically, not necessarily now. We'd have people who come in, they finish up working in area or whatever, and then they would leave it as is and depart and not deal with it. Those mine claims would end up getting lost in the annals of time because, you know, family would forget about it or whatever, and it would automatically go into public land. The public lands, we can deal with those problems by communicating with the individuals in the community and coming up with a free market solution. Like, do you guys want to raise some money to help deal with this particular, like sponsor a mine hole? Why is it that we have to use taxpayer dollars to take care of it when we can just engage with people directly affected by it in that specific area and do a fundraiser instead? I think that most people are incredibly generous and in my experience will be happy to collaborate on things with that without you having to force them to pay money to offset it. And as you know, with government, every dollar that we get, only about 10 cents of that dollar translates into anything that directly affects the community. Most of it is lost in overhead. So let's cut out the middleman there and go directly to fundraising and sponsorship. So that's one of the the other parts of it. And then with respect to, you know, visiting mine sites and stuff, the department already does not necessarily engage in citation. They only do that in worst case scenarios. And those are the situations where you have repeat offenders. So I still think it's important that we have inspectors that go on site and take a look for things, but they do it as being a second set of eyes, as opposed to being the watchdog. They're there to let the mine owner know this is what's going on. This is, this is what's impacting you. And this is where you need to make changes so you don't get in trouble and you don't have a, a fatality or a lost time incident. And I think even that ultimately can be shifted over into the free marketplace as opposed to it being nested under the, the house of the Arizona state government. But that won't happen and I won't push for that until we get the federal government out of our business entirely. So that would be the first down is get the federal government out of the mining industry here in Arizona. If people in West Virginia want the federal government breathing down their necks, more power to you, but not here in Arizona. And then once we get to that point, let's start exploring free market alternatives and private enterprise solutions as a way of addressing these issues rather than making it something that the government has to handle. 
Kim, you obviously, you have, you know, the right uh, sense of enthusiasm needed for this, but I got to ask you, right? And I'm sure a lot of people out there are going to ask you, Kim, you're successful in the private industry. You you, you have no real reason you should be wanting to to put your, your neck on the line for this. So why the heck are you running for office as a libertarian, putting yourself out there and ready to take all these slings and arrows? You know, honestly, a lot of it is the fact that well, of course, when I ran for president, the the prime mover there was to change the conversation within the liberty movement itself, as well as to emphasize the importance of outreach and that it is a collaborative effort, like all hands on deck. And to that end, I do feel that despite having to withdraw and obviously not being the nominated candidate, that we and when I say we, I don't just mean my running me and my team. I also mean all the other candidates were successful in kind of changing that focus and changing that conversation. And we had a lot of really exceptional candidates running on down ballot tickets who did indeed win their elections, which was just awesome. But in addition to that, we've also been through a presidential run. And because of this presidential run that we've got that we had, it came to such an extraordinary fever pitch where every single side was angling for something and thus being incredibly deceptive about what was going on. And when you're dealing with something like a pandemic or you're dealing with an economic downturn caused by our response to the pandemic, or you're dealing with all the other aspects that came to a head during this presidential cycle, and you don't have anybody that is being honest or authentic telling the truth because they're all angling for something, that is incredibly terrifying. And it's obvious to me that we are in a situation where the fear that we all felt would have been vastly reduced if we did not ever permit our federal government to engage in what's called scope creep in project management, when you have a contract with somebody in the case of our government, it would be the constitution. If you have a contract, you set out the parameters of I am going to do X, Y, Z in exchange for ABC. And that is the scope of work that's been established. When you have a client come back to you and say, well, now I need you to do, you know, DEF in addition to those other things. And for the same price and in the same timeline, that's called scope creep. And that's something that can be an absolute bottom line killer in the private sector. In the context of politics, scope creep is when your government agents go above and beyond the predetermined and established scope of office. A president, a presidential race should not be a make it or break it for us as a nation if we didn't engage in scope creep. We wouldn't have to worry about them using the executive orders as a means of legislating from their desk. We wouldn't have to worry about the amount of power, the stupid amount of power vested in that federal office if they stayed within the set parameters of the Constitution. And so because of that, because of the how much BS we've permitted the federal government to get away way with, you know, whether it's legislators who create legislation that's so poorly defined, it goes to the executive branch to enforce and determine what those parameters are, or it's a president who is going above and beyond the scope of their office, or a judiciary that is not actually looking at the constitutionality, but rather just legislating from the bench as well. That if that didn't exist, we wouldn't be so scared as people. So I want to eliminate that. I want to get back to a place where the people who have the greatest level authority over our lives are us first, 
followed by the community, then by, you know, your city government or your municipality or county government or parish government, and then to the state. The federal government should only handle five or six things, max, if at all, and that's it. So the state mine inspector's office is a really interesting run, particularly in this era of focus on safety and health and that emphasis that people seem to have a right to being protected or being cared for by their government, as opposed to they have a personal responsibility to engage in safety and health. So that's a, it's kind of an interesting conversation that I'm going to have to be having. And it's interesting to because I'm going to have to cover such a wide range of topics, including environmentalism and, you know, free markets and enterprise and all sorts of things. So it's it. But my goal here, my primary goal, more so than anything else, is to really impress upon the people of Arizona the critical importance of self-ownership. That is a that is the absolute hallmark of libertarian thought. And I want them to understand that in order for us to combat this, it starts with taking ownership of our own actions, our thoughts, our words, our deeds. Once we take responsibility for that, once we own that, then we are able to make educated decisions. And if we see an employer of ours engaging in unsafe work practices, we can say, no, I'm not going to deal with that. We can push back on them and we can push back on the federal government or the state government in the same token. So it's really about empowering the individual to take responsibility for themselves. Kim Ruff, my goodness, we could go on forever, but sadly, we must be wrapping up here. Uh, a great conversation. <laughs> but with that being said, where can folks go ahead and follow you over on social media, but also go ahead and support the Kim Ruff campaign for Arizona State Mine Inspector? The best place for you to start would be my website, and that is your next month. Actor.com. A little hat tip there to Spike Cohen, who was your next vice president. <laughs> I thought that was so cute that I was like, I'm going to go with that for state mine inspector. Like, you got to believe in your product if you're trying to sell it to people. So if you go to my website, yournextmineinspector.com, you can learn about me. It's connected to my Facebook landing page, Instagram, Twitter, my LinkedIn, which has a really comprehensive resume of things that I've done in the course of my career. So anyone who wants to know if I actually know what I'm talking about and have worked in this industry, it's right there for you. You can donate, sign my petition if you're a registered libertarian or independent. And that's something that needs to be stated for any audience members who are based in Arizona. In order for me to even be on the ballot, the primary ballot in August of 2022, I need to get 3,335 valid signatures from a registered libertarian or independent voter and submit those to the Secretary of State's by April of 2022. So we've about 3% of our goal at present, but we still have a long way to go. So anyone who's interested, go to my website. All that information is there. You will be able to connect to me on multiple platforms. Well, there you go. There's that call to action. So with that being said, Kim Ruff for Arizona State Mine Inspector. As always, a pleasure. Folks, you have your call to action. Make sure you go out there, support Kim. And if you're in Arizona, make sure you go and help support her. Get her on the ballot. Kimberly Ruff, thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. Let's sell liberty and look good doing it with Proud Libertarian. 
folks? When we're selling Liberty, we have to start things off by piquing interest. And what better way to pique some interest than by rocking some amazing apparel from Proud Libertarian. Personally, I'm a huge fan of their Do Good Recklessly t-shirt, but there's more than t-shirts to find from awesome taxation is theft snapbacks to the killer Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death hoodies. Proud Libertarian has all the Libertarian swag you need. And guess what? Brian Nichols Show audience members can rock the latest Libertarian swag and save some cash on every single order. All you have to do, use code TBNS at checkout and you'll get 10% off your entire cart at checkout. That's right. Each time you order, use code TBNS and you'll instantly get 10% off your entire order. Listen, I am super excited to have Proud Libertarian here as a sponsor of the Brian Nichols Show. So do me a favor. Head over there to Proud Libertarian. Place your order today. Use code TBNS at checkout. Save 10% on your order and help support libertarian entrepreneurs today. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Kim Rupp. She is running again for Arizona State Mine Inspector. If you are in the great state of Arizona, please do me a favor. Reach out to Kim's campaign and help support her in any way you can, whether it's uh, doing a financial contribution to her campaign, helping, uh, you know, get some, some, you know, get some signs out there, whatever it may be you can do to help. Anything is better than nothing. So please, uh, whatever you can do, please. Help, And that also can be as simple as sharing today's episode with some family and friends, I'm sure, some folks out there who would like to learn more about what a uh, an Arizona state in, uh, mine inspector would look like as a libertarian. Well, you can point in this direction, and uh, Kim Ruff, I think you'd be in good hands with her as your state mine inspector out there in Arizona. So yes, I mentioned we had our conversation on Monday with Joe Salaski. Great conversation coming up here on Friday. Yes, and Friday you are in store for a returning guest and what a fantastic guest he is. One Mikkel Thorup from the Expat Money Show. And we are digging into some of the objections that folks raise when they're thinking about this expat lifestyle. Mikkel joins the show to discuss all that and more, dispelling some of those preconceived notions. Also, it's such a great conversation that Mikkel reached out to see if he could do a re-air over on his amazing program, The Expat Money Show. So if you have not had the chance yet to check out his amazing podcast, also make sure you go over there, give him a subscribe, and tell him that Brian sent you. But folks, that's all I have in store for you this week. If you enjoyed today's episode, obviously, as we always say, please share with family and friends, but also, please... If you have not yet, head over to Apple Podcasts, get your ratings and reviews in for Friday's episode. You can uh, be featured as one of our uh, awesome reviewers here on The Brian Nichols Show. Five-star rating and review would be fantastic, as you know, we charge you nothing here at The Brian Nichols Show. So all I ask in return is just five minutes of your time. Head over there to Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your your podcast delivered. And just tell folks why you are a uh, subscriber here to The Brian Nichols Show, what value you get, and why uh, folks, you are returning here. Is it that you find it that you are educated, enlightened, and informed when you leave every episode? Well, if so, just give folks a uh, a heads up. And I appreciate every single uh, review that's out there, except for that one dude who did the one star review and then didn't say why. I see you. I see you. And as always, folks, follow me on uh, social media at b nichols liberty, Twitter, Facebook, and minds.com at b nichols liberty, and email me brian at briannicholsshow.com with any guest suggestions, whether that's you represent somebody who you'd love to hear on the Brian Nichols Show, or you say, hey, what about this person? Well, say, hey, what about this person to me? In an email, brian at briannicholsshow.com. And uh, yes, you heard it today. Uh, we have a brand new sponsor, Proud Libertarian, and I am a big fan of all the work they're doing, so I just want to give a special uh, added shout-out here at the end of the Brian Nichols Show episode. Please 
go ahead, support our sponsors here at the network. We are extremely fortunate to be getting some amazing sponsors. And with that, I would love to be able to show them that, hey, our audience is supportive and they are willing to support with our dollars, but also it helps us support our libertarian causes out there in the wild. So when you go to Proud Libertarian, use code TBNS at checkout on all orders and get 10% off. So folks, please, if you want to do your part, this is one way you can do it and also look pretty darn good while doing it. So folks, with that being said, that's all I have for you here on today's episode. With that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Kim Ruff. We'll see you Friday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.